in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking that we could pull, I don't know, Hall of Famer. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. There is nothing more fun than opening an Arena Club slab pack. I mean, it is so much better than any mystery pack that I've ever purchased because there is a focus on transparency. There is a display of available cards. There are hit rates you can get. When you're graded, you're given a rationale. It is the marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, and displaying. Arena Club Slab Packs are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. You can have them officially graded by Arena Club. The Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent, with a full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. Whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have to check out. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack, that's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans like for a car or a home. You can use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. That's right, you can build your credit using your own money. Get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. With a qualifying direct deposit, you can get access to your money sooner. Fee-free overdraft with SpotMe. Overdraft up to $200 without fees with SpotMe when you set up a qualified direct deposit. Just set up a qualifying direct deposit, sign up for SpotMe, and Chime will spot you up to your limit when you make a credit card purchase or cash withdrawal that exceeds your balance. Access 60,000 plus fee-free ATMs. That's more than the top three national banks combined. Easily find one near you with the Chime app. Send and receive money. Use Chime to pay anyone, Chime members or not, and cash out your money fee-free. With Chime's secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started at Chime.com slash bad money. That's Chime.com slash bad money. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Hoorah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's bad with money with Gabby Dunn. Hello, I'm Gabby Dunn and this is Bad With Money, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. 
I'm on the road. That's right. I'm coming to you from New Mexico, where me and my partner and sometimes co-host of this show, Mal Blum, are on a little road trip. So I did this interview with Stephanie Lee uh, a little while ago, and then now I'm recording this intro for you from a motel in New Mexico. Uh, We are on our way to... New York because Mal's sister is having a baby. Um, So I'm recording this Monday and y'all are hearing this Wednesday. Um, And I assume by Wednesday we'll be somewhere in Arkansas. Anyway, this is me from the past talking to you in the future. So this week's episode is with Stephanie Lee. And if you are an eagle-eared mailbag listener, you know that Stephanie is someone who has called in a couple times, they go by Stephanie in Brooklyn, uh, to admonish me for not talking about boring topics enough and for having on a lot of investment guests who are very into risky individual stock picking and uh, who don't value the slow and steady and boring journey of tax advantaged accounts and of making sure that you are taking advantage of all of the sort of mutual fund, index fund, slow growing investment opportunities available to you. Stephanie has a website called Frequently Taxed Questions and basically wrote in and called in to let me know that there were a lot of really important things that seemed really boring, but that I really needed to be talking about on the show. So I invited her to be our guest. (laughs) So for the second or third time in the show's history, someone wrote in with uh, some form of a complaint or suggestion, and I brought that person on as a guest. So Stephanie joins me this week. I will say that my partner was listening to the episode and said, wow, this really is boring. And I want to get out ahead of that. Yes. Is it flashy? Is it fun? No. But is it stuff that we really need to dive deep into and that you guys really need to know more about? And a lot of you have asked, a lot of you have written in saying, please cover tax advantaged accounts. Please cover HSAs. Please cover ways in which we can save money and pay less taxes, and also the whole system of taxes and how in the U.S. it is incredibly disadvantaged to the taxpayer. Stephanie's here. She gives us all of that. We try to break everything down. I ask a lot of what I feel are very obvious questions. We really try to get into it in a way that is accessible to you guys. If you have thoughts, questions, concerns, um, or if you feel like, hey, this is one we needed to listen to a couple times in a row, uh, please write in and let me know. I am GabbyIsBadWithMoney at gmail.com. You can also call 844-474-4040. And who knows? I might just make you a guest. Okay. Enjoy this episode with Stephanie. It's not boring. It's good for you like vegetables. Welcome to the show. Uh, Can you tell my audience who are you and what you do and possibly where they've heard your voice before? Oh, sure. My name is Stephanie. Uh, I work as an economist. I live in Brooklyn, New York, and I have had a message that I sent in played on the show previously. I suggested that the show cover boring topics Mm -hmm. like um, taking advantage of tax advantage savings accounts and things like that. So I'm here to bring a message celebrating the boring. 
<laughs> yeah, you'll recall Stephanie from Brooklyn. Uh, so uh, thank you. For, you've gone from mailbag to regular episode. Um, so you have a website called Frequently Taxed Questions, which is hilarious. Uh, what do you – what is the goal of, of your services? Sure. Yeah. So my goal with, with this uh, very small side business that I have is to help teach people things that they would like to know about money. And one of the most common things that I've done with people is teach them how to prepare their own taxes, which is something that around half of people in the U.S. do. Uh, a lot of people don't really have a super clear understanding of what happens in the black box of that tax software. And, <laughs> and a lot of people pay someone else to do it, even though maybe they actually would be very capable of doing it themselves if they could just get a little bit of guidance and, um, you know, confidence like, hey, yeah, that, that that's what you click. That's what you do. You're doing it right. Um, and And I try to give people a little bit of a big picture overview of how do taxes work so that they understand what's going on and they're not just, you know, entering numbers and hope that it all seems okay at the end. You think um, most people could do their own taxes? I think so. Yeah, I do. Why don't we? <laughs> well, I, there are a lot of different reasons, I think, uh, because, you know, people are different. Um, I think one one reason is if someone feels like they just don't have time, they don't want to figure it out. Um, and that's a perfectly legit reason. You know, if you'd rather pay someone to handle something for you, you know, fine. Uh, a lot of people just really are not interested in learning about it. And that's okay. You know, it's not for everyone. So if Someone feels like, hey, I want to, I want to pay a pro. I don't want to learn. I'm just not interested. I want to outsource it. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think some people feel like they just don't know how it works. They don't want to make a mistake. Enough. Yeah, I don't yeah, want to make not, a mistake. It's yeah, terrifying. Don't want to make, don't want to make a mistake. It's, it seems super complicated. The tax software asks seventy billion questions. Yeah. They look at the forms. It's like, oh my god you know, I better pay someone so that I don't get hit with, you know, penalties or a scary IRS letter or something like that. You know, it's very, very understandable. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's like a, you know, a tax preparation industrial complex where if they made it easy or if everybody was able to do their own taxes, like in mm -hmm. other countries where they just tell you what you have to pay and then you mm -hmm. pay it rather than the backwards way we do it in the U.S. where you have to make a guess and then they tell you if you're right mm -hmm. or wrong, mm -hmm. uh, it would put a lot of people out of business. <laughs> yes. No. And I mean, you're not you're you're right. That's actually that is true. That is how it works. They have a powerful lobby. Um, there Shit. is actually, I think he's an accounting professor at a university in California who once hired his own lobbyist to try to help with a, um, a, a free file program. I think there, I think it actually did go into effect in California, like a pilot program maybe. But, um, you know, he pointed out the IRS actually has all the information it needs Yes. To, deter to determine taxes for most people, right? Because if you have a W-2 job, they have that info from your employer. If you have an investment account, they have in information about taxes from that. If you work as an independent contractor, 
the firms that hired you, you know, if you're making over a certain amount, they file forms with the IRS, right? All this information, it all goes to the IRS. And so the IRS could, in theory, send you a, a bill if you owe money at the end of the year. Exactly. And say, hey, here's, here's your bill. You know, look it over. If there's something that, you know, you think is wrong or we're missing info, tell us. But if you're okay with it, just, you know, make a payment or, you know, here's a refund, right? They could do that. But um, there are a lot of people with vested interests in not having it be like that. And, uh, you know, Republicans also have a vested interest in making people hate, hate taxes. Uh, you know, it's very <laughs> onerous, this process, right? And so it also mm-hmm. does not serve political interests for a lot of people. How long, when you teach someone how to do their own taxes, like, how different is the concept of how long it will take versus how long it actually takes? Like, how long would it take for me to just sit and do my taxes? Oh, you mean like if we're doing a teaching session or if yeah, like or after if, that, yeah. the next year or something? A teaching session and then maybe the next year. Yeah. So a teaching session, uh, I usually ask people to block about three hours, which part of that time at the beginning would just be giving a little bit of an overview of, you know, here's how the tax system works. Like we have a pay as you go system where you have to, you know, pay money all throughout the year. Right. And and things like that. Right. We go over some of those big picture concepts and then we actually fire up the software. Um, Like recently we, you know, do a screen share and someone will have gotten either, you know, downloaded software or it's a website and they'll screen share and we'll just walk through and, you know, if they have to input numbers, we input numbers. Sometimes you can download it. So the time to walk through that part of it depends on, you know, how much stuff they have going on in terms of their own situation or if they have questions along the way. Right. And so it's, you know, that part can vary quite a bit, but I think three hours is about the most that wow. I've spent with someone. And, um, you know, in terms of the next year, it, I mean, it can be fast, you know, yeah. I mean, it, it can be like, if you're, if you just have like, if you're a single person, one, one W2, let's say it could take you half an hour to do everything. Oh man, they don't want you, you to know? know that. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's, yeah, that's what the software, like, it can be really, really fast. You know, if you have a lot of different forms and you need to get all that information, put in, or if there's something where you're like, wait, this number doesn't make sense. I need to drill into it. You know, it could take a little bit longer, but, um, you know, for most people, it really should not take more than a couple of hours. And that's generally for federal and state. Once you've done the federal, the state is usually pretty easy and quick. Is it, does it make sense to keep track of everything throughout the year, like the way that people used to like save receipts or like, is all of that, Hmm. um, does all doing all of that contribute to it taking only half an hour? Um, it can. So if you're someone like, if you have your own business, whether that's your full-time job or a part-time thing, um, then saving receipts, for example, could help you understand what is the amount of business expenses that I have throughout the year? Uh, one recommendation that I've made to people is to have one checking account that they use for their business and have mm-hmm. 
all income, all their revenues, everything flow into that account. If it's something where you get paid in cash, fine, just do a deposit into that account and then pay all your expenses out of that account. You could use a debit card. If you want to use a business credit card, fine, have the payments of that credit card, everything in the one account. And then I separate personal and business. Yeah. Personal and business are separate accounts, and that way I don't have to go through each year and be like, what did I spend? I can just click and the breakdown is shown to me. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's the easiest way to to keep track of things. But, you know, if I mean, the IRS doesn't care how you keep how you keep your records. If you want to write it down in a little notepad, you know, that's fine. <laughs> Whatever works. <laughs> So I liked on your website where it says, ask most people what their biggest expense is and they'll say housing. And you said mm. wrong. It's probably taxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so like why does understanding taxes uh, and knowing that that is probably our biggest expense, how does that help with financial security? Yeah. So I think it helps different people in different ways. So it kind of depends on your financial situation, but there are lots of people who end up when they have to do their taxes, they owe a lot more money than what they were expecting. That's a situation that comes up a lot, right? And so I would say, Mm -hmm. if you understand how taxes work, you can avoid being in that situation, right? So whether that would mean changing withholding from a job where you get a paycheck, or if you're self What does that mean, changing withholding? Oh, sure. Yeah, that means, so when you get your paycheck, take a look at it, and you'll see there's gross pay, and then there's taxes that are withheld, and then there's your net pay, which is what actually goes into your bank account. And so the amount of taxes that are withheld, there's a form you can fill out with an employer that will help determine... The, that dollar amount, right? And so you want to make sure that it's going to be enough. And there's an IRS form and it'll step you through, you know, kind of what to do. You don't have to figure out the dollars yourself. <laughs> um, but if there's, you know, if you notice, for example, hey, I, I kind of owed a lot this year for my taxes. And I maybe, let's say you just have the one job and it's a W-2 job with an employer well, you should go to your HR and say, I need to have more withholding taken out because I don't want to have a big bill at the end of the year, right? And so if you have kind of this understanding of Mm -hmm. how you have to pay those taxes all the way along as your income is coming in, that's a way that it can help you, right? And make sure stuff is actually being withheld. Absolutely. I've had the problem where it wasn't actually and I had to pay a huge uh, sum at the end of the year because taxes weren't actually being taken out of my paycheck. So please check on that. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. PSA. Please. Um, Yeah. So yeah. So that's just kind of one thing, right? Like if you've got income coming in, understanding you need to be paying it along the way or at least setting money aside, you know, to pay it. Um, I would say that's one thing. Another way is um, taking advantage of like tax advantage investing accounts. We're going to get there. Yeah. And so, you know, having an understanding of how do taxes work, that can help you make the most out of those opportunities, right? It could be something that's based at your job, could be something you do on your own, but that's, you know, that's another way. I would say those are probably the two most common things. And then you know, for people who have their own businesses, there's 
there are a lot of opportunities for tax planning. Um, so a lot of that is actually beyond my own personal expertise, but I know that's that's a, that's kind of a very ripe area for a lot of people. So you wrote in incised. You were not incised. What uh, what is a tax advantage and what is a tax advantage investing account and why and and why have I let everyone down by not <laughs> by not talking about these? Well, okay, so. A lot of people talk about investing in, um, I'll just say regular accounts. Um, you know, it could be like a lot of the people that are you know, using apps on their phone and doing trading are probably doing it in just a regular account. So um, I would say, depending on your goals and what you're trying to do with the money, like if one of your goals is to save for retirement, which is a super common goal, um, then it probably does not make sense to put that money for retirement savings into a regular account unless you've already taken full advantage of all the tax advantaged accounts, right? Um, because you will end up with more money at retirement if you make use of those tax advantaged accounts. What are the tax advantaged accounts? Oh my God. It's like the numerical alphabet soup. (laughs) We make it so incredibly complicated in the US. So um, 401k and 403b are the most common ones for something offered at an employer. So a 401k would be at a private corporation. A 403b would be at a nonprofit. Um, Also, there's IRA account, which is not tied to any particular employer. Anyone can have one of those. There are other account types for people who are self-employed. SEP IRA, for example, is one of those. Um, Gosh, there's one called 457, which I'm not even, I'm not personally familiar with, but I know it's one of those other account types. You can have a solo 401k if you're like a self-employed person. there are a bunch. There's also HSA, which stands for Health Savings Account, which um, is sort of, you know, people talk about it like it's specifically just to pay exp- health expenses, but you can also use it as a retirement savings vehicle. Uh, I think that's the best. That's how I use it personally. I have one of those and um, I use it for retirement savings. So we could get into it, but there's, just, I mean, there's so many. There's, and they come in in different flavors. There's the so-called traditional, like you could have a traditional 401k or a traditional IRA. And then there's the Roth flavor, Roth 401k, Roth IRA. I mean, it's really, it's ridiculous how many different kinds that we have. Um, I would just say, just do it, just save into them. And if you, if you do that, you've done the important thing. And, you know, you can you can try to think about like, oh, which one might be the best one for me if, if that's something you enjoy thinking about. But if you don't, then just just do it. You know, doing the savings is like that's the thing that really, really counts. But what is tax advantage? What does that mean? What am I getting? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Well, so, yeah, I was thinking, um, you know, let's say if, if you take someone who I'm going to maybe give a specific example. Right. And keep it kind of simple. If someone is interested in saving money for retirement, maybe they're considering 
just taking some money from their checking account and putting it in a regular brokerage account, like let's say $5,000, right? Or they could also consider putting it into a Roth IRA, right? So, uh, and they're saying, okay, why would I want to do the Roth IRA? So let's, uh, uh, hypothetically, let's say you, you put the money in and you pick some kind of an investment that earns a return of maybe like 6% a year, right? And it's for retirement. So you let it sit there for 30 years, say, right? Um, and you you just buy, it's just pure buy and hold, right? Okay. And, and just to keep it really simple, whatever this investment is, let's say it's like no dividends, right? So it just, you put the money in and it grows at the 6%. At the end of 30 years, and I, I did the math ahead of time, right? That yeah. would be $28,700. Okay. 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 So if that is sitting inside of a Roth IRA account, the way that those accounts work, you already paid tax on that $5,000. You know, let's say you earned it from your, your pay. You put it in the Roth IRA, IRA account. That's it. You're done with taxes. Whatever is in the account later, when you take it out at retirement, all of that money is yours. So at retirement, you'd have that $28,700. Okay. No taxes it, on it. No taxes. That's it's, it's, it's like you're done. You paid mm-hmm. the tax already and it's the money is yours. If you had said instead put it into just a regular account, same investment, you would have to pay capital gains tax on the gain. And so depend there there are actually tax brackets for capital gains. We can talk about that. But if you have um, income high enough to owe capital gains, you're probably going to be most people would end up in that 15 percent bracket. And so 15 percent would be four thousand three hundred dollars. And so I would ask whoever is thinking about the choice, well, would you rather have 4,300 more or 4,300 less? (laughs) So, you know, that would be the advantage in that situation. The thing is, it's so interesting because we just got an email from someone who was uh, saying that he actually disagreed with me talking about putting things into IRAs or HSAs or anything like that because he was like, you can only take those out when you're older and you don't have access to it as liquid um, and that he needed the money taken out so he could buy a house and he was so glad that he had it in a regular brokerage account rather than having to wait. Um, What say you to that man's email? Uh, I think he's absolutely right. Yeah, that's totally accurate, right? And so the entire example here, it's premised on the idea that the person wants to set aside some money specifically for retirement, right? For some, you know, in this case, specifically to have access to it when they are at age 59 and a half or older. So <laughs> right? Which is, when you're saying tax advantaged accounts, you're, you're, it's mostly talking about people who want to retire and not pay taxes on what the money that they're using to retire. It's 
Well, sometimes you, it depends on the type of account. Sometimes you do have to pay taxes, right? So a traditional 401k, you're putting in pre-tax money and then you pay tax when you take it out, right? When you take it out. When you take it out. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's money. But at the same rate as, as the year you put it in, right? Um, no, it actually would be whatever your tax rate is at that time. Oh, right. Okay. So the, another p- potential tax advantage um, could be for someone putting into a traditional account. If you think that you're going to be in a lower tax bracket at that retirement age, then your what taxes you have at the time, yeah, sort of taking gaming that um, those differences in the tax brackets. Of course, Congress can decide to change the tax brackets. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. So you or don't know. <laughs> that's why all these people uh, want taxes to be lower so that when they go to take their money out in the future and they when they put it in, the tax rate was like, you know, right. 6%. But when they go to take it out, it's now 4%. And they're like, right. woo! Yeah. Yeah. Or it could be, you know, the um, state in the U.S. where you live, when you're earning the money, could have a different um, state or lo- and or local tax rate than where you think, if you think you might move later in life to a state that has maybe even no income taxes. Um, oh, yeah. That's that why everyone part moves of to Florida. Too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think the person who said, no, I disagree, you know, keep it in the brokerage account. It depends on, you know, what's your plan for yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you think, you know, maybe someone is planning to go back to school. And yeah. they want to save money for tuition and just to live off of. Yeah, don't don't put it in a, a retirement account then. That wouldn't make sense. Or if you're saving to put a down payment on a house, you know, something that's coming up kind of near term. It, yeah, don't 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 do it. This is like specifically for if you want money, you know, when you're over. And I keep I keep saying retirement, but really but it's when you're over fifty nine, a certain a age. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you use an HSA health savings account as a retirement account. Say more about that. Yeah. So um, if you put money, if you have a high deductible health plan, it has to be one of the the HDHP is what they call it. High deductible health plan. It's a, a health insurance plan that has a deductible that is at least a certain dollar amount. Um, I forget it changes each year. I forget the exact dollar amount, but it, it has to be a certain amount to qualify under the rules as high deductible. If you have one of those plans, and that it could be an employer plan or it could be one that you buy yourself through one of the exchanges, um, you can have an HSA account, health savings account. If you're an individual on the plan, you can put in up to $3,650 this year. That dollar amount is indexed with inflation, so it can change. Or if you're on a, quote, family plan, you can put in up to $7,300 each year pre-tax. Okay. And this is actually the only tax-advantaged account that is not only lets you not pay income taxes, but it also avoids payroll taxes, which is Social Security and um, Medicare, um, which is over 7%, which so it's pretty significant. Um, so you, you put money into it pre-tax, right? And then if you want to use that money to pay for qualified health expenses, it could be um, 
you know, co-pays or, you know, just whatever your insurance does not cover or other kinds of things like, you know, paying for eyeglasses or, you know, Uh, things, right. It's not just pure health insurance plan stuff. Um, If it's a qualified medical expense, you can reimburse yourself from the HSA account, or sometimes they have it where you can, like, there's a, a, you know, debit type card thing where you can pay directly out of it, but you can either pay directly out of it or reimburse yourself from the HSA account to have those health expenses covered. So it's like, you never paid tax on that income when it went into the account and you never paid tax on it when it went out, if you're using it for health expenses. Okay. Now the expense, the health expense does not have to be incurred at the same time as when you're putting the money into it, right? So like I could I could put money in to that HSA account, you know, three years in a row, and then I could wait 10 years. And 10 years from now, I have a health expense. Cool, I can take money out of that HSA account to pay for that health expense. And you right? haven't paid taxes on any of that and you will never have to. No, and in the meantime, Inside of that HSA account, you've invested. I can invest the money. I don't have to. I can. Yeah. I can have it sit. I can have it in cash. I can have it in some kind of a, you know, something that's earning a little bit of interest. I can invest it in. I in mine personally, I invest in an S and P five hundred index fund mm-hmm. inside of that account, and so hopefully that money will grow substantially over time, and so I can pay for a lot more future health expenses in real yeah. terms than if I were just using up those funds immediately, right? Now, of course, the, the critical part to make that work is that, you know, like this year when I have health expenses, I have to have other money to pay yeah, for them, yeah. right? And so for me, you know, I set aside some money out of each paycheck because I have one of these high deductible plans. I know I'm going to have to pay a lot of bills throughout the year, you know, when we have to have tests or whatever, right? And so that's really the key is that planning piece of it. You have to, you know, you're going to, if you want to do this strategy, you're going to need to create another pot of money to take care of your health expenses. So, you know, that's the the kind of, now, that's just one way you can use the account. Mm -hmm. Everything I've talked about is like health expenses, health expenses, right? Right, right, right? One thing I know is that, when people get older, they have a lot more health expenses. Right. Right. You're betting so, on that. So that's, yeah. Now, that said, though, if down the road, let's say for my own personal account, let's say the investments do fabulously. Great. And somehow I am just one of these magical people who doesn't have incredibly high health expenses when I'm older. I kind of doubt it. I kind of think there's probably going to be plenty there. Yeah, but, but let's say no. You know, let's say no. I'm just the luckiest old lady in the world. <laughs> and I want to use the money for other things in my life. Well, then I can take the money out and I will just pay income tax on it. Uh, the same way that I would with a traditional 401k or a traditional IRA. So your worst case scenario, if you can wait to access this money until you're after the key age, is that it just turns into a traditional retirement account. Um, Interesting. What does it mean? What what is a high deductible? 
Um, it's like a specified dollar amount. Oh, okay. Yeah, a health. Uh, a, a, I mean, I I don't know if it's. I think it's a thousand something. Okay. Dollars. Yeah. So, so. what about um, an FSA? FSA, yeah, that stands for flexible savings account. It's totally separate. Um, there are FSAs that are health FSAs mm. that, where you can set aside money from a paycheck to pay for health expenses. Into you set aside money, you say, okay, I want to have you know a hundred dollars a paycheck mm. go into an FSA account, fifty dollars, whatever it is. Um, and then you can pay for medical expenses out of that account. Um, there's also something called a dependent care FSA, where you can set aside money, pre-tax money, and then use it to pay for childcare expenses, like at a daycare center. And wow. um, those also have maximums that you can put in each year. Um, at the place where I work, because I have the HSA, which is sort of associated with my main medical insurance, I have a separate insurance for dental and eyes. Right, right. A lot of them do. I don't know. Yeah, it's like somehow not part yeah. of the body. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I know. It's so <laughs> it's wild. It's very weird. Yep. Separate eye and dental insurance yeah. that isn't under health insurance. Truly right. wild. It's not under health insurance. Yeah. So- I have what's called a limited purpose FSA where I can set aside pre-tax money specifically for eye and dental expenses. Wow. So like I wear contact lenses and yeah. so I, I set aside enough, you know, to cover that. And then, uh, you know, a little bit extra. Usually there's a couple things that come up during the year. You know, one thing to know for FSAs is the money in those accounts is use it or lose it. Yeah. Okay. So, so say more about that. Yeah. So like if you set aside, let's say over the course of the year for your FSA, you put in, um, you know, $500 and at the end of the year, you have only spent like $400 on whatever the medical expense, qualified medical expenses that extra hundred dollars that you have sitting in there, you lose the money, right? What and the, so, why? <laughs> is this I don't so know. wild? Right? No, it's 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 absurd, right? It's absurd. Um, Who but takes it's what it? We have. Why do they take it? Who gets it? Um, I don't know who gets it. Actually, it's super weird. Yeah. So, you know, what people recommend for that type of savings account is you don't want to overfund it, mm -hmm. right? You just want to put in what you feel confident that you can make use of. Now, the, the benefit of the FSA is that you're putting in pre-tax money, just like the HSA, and then you get to spend the full amount and you never pay tax on it, right? right? So it's Let's say, you know, it's the, it's as if the, the government is subsidizing your medical expenses, right? So you get to stretch your dollars further. So it's a real, it's a great thing. You know, if you know you're going to have some expenses, then go for it. And just, you know, but again, like the burden is on you, the individual yeah, to do to all the planning it. and yeah, to use it and have receipts and Ooh. all this stuff. It's a huge, it's a, yeah, it's total pain in the rear. And um, 
that's why a lot of people throw up their hands and <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to ask, okay, so these are suggestions that you made for boring topics to talk about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How what you pay slash get in April is different from your total taxes paid. What Say more about yeah. that. Yeah. So um, when you prepare your taxes or when someone else prepares your taxes and they're due by April 15th, tax day, um, if you have to write a check, you know, let's say $1,000, Sometimes people think, okay, that's the taxes that I paid, $1,000. And it's like, no, uh, that, that would be nice. But you for, you have hopefully been paying your taxes all throughout the year. We Like we talked about that earlier, how you have withholding from paychecks. Or if you're self-employed, you might pay estimated taxes every quarter. And so you pay throughout the year. It's a pay-as-you-go system. Now, at the end of the year, when you're doing your tax return, you're kind of settling up your bill, yeah. if you will. With I have a question. I have a question. Mm. So I have an account. I pay quarterly, and I have an accountant who says mm-hmm. time to pay quarterly. If you mm-hmm. do your taxes by yourself, how do you know when to do that and and how to do that? Yeah. Well, so the deadlines for each quarter those are set by the IRS. So it's January fifteenth is for that's for Q4. April 15th is for Q1. Um, I think it's July 15th and then September 15th. So weirdly, they're not exactly three months apart, Um, but it's like, that's the deadline, right? And so you can, the tax prep software might make, can, will make a recommendation of like, Hey, you know, like if next year looks the same as this year, here's the amounts that you would pay each quarter. Or if your income is like quite variable throughout the year, they have um, like worksheets that you can use to estimate that. Or you can keep it simple and just estimate, you know, maybe set aside like 35%. You know, so every time you get paid for something, you could just set aside that amount into an account and then just write a check for that each quarter, right? That could be one way to do it. And the reason that you get a refund is because you the the government says, oh, you gave us too much. Exactly. So you sit down at the end of the year, you know, maybe there's um, like credits that you're eligible for or um, like, you know, you decided um, after January, but before April, oh, actually, I do have enough money. I'm going to fund my IRA. And so that ends up lowering your taxes because you get to put pre-tax money in or, you know, any like there's so many different things that could come into play. Like if you're married and you're filing jointly, you know, the IRS does maybe they don't know about every little interact all the ways that you and your partner's tax stuff intersects with each other. And so you have to kind of sit down, you figure it all out. If the amount that you paid during the year is more than the total that you owe, you get a refund. If the amount you paid is less, you have to make a payment. But the the, the check that you write in April or the refund that you get, that's the difference. Right? That's between, not what you've paid in taxes. That's the difference in either Right. Direction. It's a difference between what you've already paid and the total amount that you owe for the year. And that could be plus or minus. Okay. I love playing games with the government. I truly do. Okay. 
Okay, so then uh, you mentioned this a little bit, but different tax brackets for wage income versus investment income, which I think you're talking about capital gains, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, capital gains has its own tax bracket, which a lot of people don't don't realize know that that's true. Um, So for 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 2021, if you have earned income up to forty thousand four hundred dollars, the capital gains tax rate is zero percent. What? And yeah, and that's that's earned income or taxable income, and so that would be. Um, after you take your deduction. So if you take the standard deduction of 12, it's twelve and a half thousand dollars for a single person, and then that 40.4, that's also for a single person, you can add those two together. So it's actually over $50,000 of gross income that you could earn before you would have to pay capital gains. And, and how do I achieve that? How do I get that? That's just anybody? That's anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you have, this is for a single person, if you have earned income over 40,400, then it would be a 15% capital gains rate that you pay. And then if you have earned income over 400, let's call it 446,000 round numbers. Just from, just from your investments doing well. No, that would be earned income. So that would be like from your like your job. From your job, okay. From your wage income. If you had it over, if you were lucky enough to have earned income over four hundred forty six thousand, then you would pay twenty six percent capital gains rate. So it's a, the tax brackets for capital gains. It goes zero percent, fifteen percent, and then twenty percent. And so that your income affects what you make on investments. How much your tax bracket is for investments. Yeah, your earned income determines what tax bracket you fall into for capital gains. Which is how much money you make off of your investments. Yes. So investments, you could, you there's two kinds of income you could have from your investments. There's dividends or capital gains or, mm-hmm. you know, div- dividends and interest income or capital gains. So let's say you have money in like a money market fund, then they would pay, or like a high yield savings account, Mm -hmm. they would pay you interest. So if Mm -hmm. you get more than $10 in interest during the year, the IRS is going to send you a form, a 1099-INT showing, Mm -hmm. oh, here's the amount of interest. You pay tax on that. That's called, that's considered like ordinary income or that, and you would pay tax on that at your regular income tax rate. And then there's capital gains, which is like if you bought something and it just went up in value and then you sell it later, the difference between what you paid initially, which is called your your basis or mm-hmm. cost basis, but it's just what you paid, yeah. the difference between that and then what it ended up at. So like the amount that you gained, that's your capital gain. And so you would pay capital gains tax on it if you are above the 0% capital gains tax bracket. And if you sold it. And if you sold it, that's Got right. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If, it's, if it's just a paper gain, 
meaning you didn't sell it yet, then right. you don't you don't have to pay any capital gains. You didn't sell it. It just the you you held on to the stock and it went higher and higher and you're still holding it. Yeah, then there's no tax consequence to that. And I would add if you sell something inside of um like a 401k account, um you don't have to pay any tax until you would take the money out of the account. Right? So Transactions inside of a tax advantaged account Whoa. Don't, do not have any tax consequences in the year of the transaction. Interesting. Yeah. Um, that is fascinating. So like if I'm in my regular brokerage account and I sell shares of Apple that have done well and I buy shares of Microsoft, I have to mm-hmm. pay on if I'm above the 0%. Mm-hmm. I have to pay. But if I just hold on to the Apple stock as it grows, no problem. But if Correct. I was in a tax advantage account and I did and I did that within a mutual fund, mm-hmm. the no, no, no. And I bought it and sold it within the same year. Mm-hmm. No capital gains tax. Right. Well, so and yeah, that's exactly right. And I would just add too, just to make it a little bit more complicated, <laughs> if you if you buy and sell investments and there are capital gains, we yeah. actually have what's called short-term capital gains and then there's long-term. And short-term means you held it for under a year. Uh-huh. And and then you pay tax on those capital gains at your income tax rates. Okay. If it's if it's over a year, then you have the capital gains tax bracket that applies. But if you don't want to have your head explode thinking about any of this, then you could just you know invest inside of like a four hundred one k account. Oh my god! <laughs> or, okay. Or you could just be a buy and hold investor, and you will avoid a lot of these tax consequences, and you'll probably have better investment outcomes too. <laughs> Okay, so this is what you initially wrote, which I loved. Additionally, it would be great if Gabby and their guests who invest in individual stocks were challenged. Are you beating the market, doing worse than if you had just invested in an index fund? How much of your time did you spend on this activity? And would your life Mm. and net worth be better if you simply automated investments into an index fund? It would Mm -hmm. be... There's a massive financial literacy with literature, which I studied in school, demonstrating that picking individual stocks is a fool's game. Say more about this. Yeah. So um, a lot of people have studied this. They've gotten big data sets from investment firms and been able to study in detail transactions that people make inside of their accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a, a big literature studying mutual funds, what's called actively managed mutual funds, Mm -hmm. which is where you have a professional portfolio manager or a team of portfolio managers that are doing like stock picking inside of the mutual fund. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, and, and, and people have studied both individuals who are trying to do this kind of stock picking and then, you know, professionals that are doing it. And what they find is that sure, there are some people who end up doing better than like a broad index, right? So if you pick something like the S&P 500 uh, is a very common one where it's you know designed to measure the performance of the, at least in that case, the US stock market as a whole. And you say, okay, you know, here's this person, they did their stock picking. How did they do? Did they do better than the index or not? And some people do and some people don't. 
on average, people do not. Mm. And that's true for uh, just individual investors. And it's also true for professional investors. And in particular, once you take into account fees and taxes, then the vast majority of those active stock pickers do not do better. So here's a quote from John Bogle, who founded Vanguard, which mm-hmm. really pioneered index, the use of index funds. That That's when you, you don't try to pick stocks, you just buy the whole index and hold it. He said, over 15 years to 1998, on a pre-tax basis, the Vanguard S&P 500 index fund outperformed 94% of general equity mutual funds. So those are the, the active mutual funds. The, the index outperformed 94% of them on a pre-tax basis. On an after-tax basis, it outperformed 97% of them. So the, it's these are the professional money managers who are doing the stock picking, who have this as their full-time job. Right. right. So they're doing worse than if you just automated money every month to go into an index fund is what you're saying. Yeah. And so now note, I did not say the index did better than a hundred percent. No, there are some that did better, but I don't understand how a regular person would be able to predict in advance. Yeah. Which one is that one going to be? Right. And so I think for most people, it makes a lot more sense to just say, you know, I'm going to feel really happy if I can just match the market, right? Because there are these index funds. It's a wonderful product. You don't have to spend time thinking about it. And if you can automate your investing, which is the number one most important thing to do, if you want to really do the saving and investing, you can get it set up ideally with a payroll deduction if you have access to that or with some other kind of automated transfer and just have it go in an index fund. And then you don't have to mess with it. You don't have to think about it. Um, It's really simple. Um, It's the get rich slowly (laughs) strategy and it's super successful. Thank you so much for coming on the show. How, How boring do you feel we were today. (laughs) I think we were really boring, actually. (laughs) Did you expect more excitement? Uh, Um, More thrills? More of a roller coaster? I I think I think you 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 met my expectations perfectly. And it's a it's perfect for the topic, especially ending talking about index funds. (laughs) Look, I the people you were right when you wrote in. Like, I think it's exciting to have people on who are like, I made a hundred million bajillion dollars in the stock market. And mm-hmm. I and I I have a little dopamine hit when I do my little TD Ameritrades. Yeah. Um yeah. but yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're you're not, you're not fun, but you are right. <laughs> yeah. Well um, <laughs> you know, I think um like like drama is good in some parts of life, but, <laughs> but money, money drama is almost always bad drama. So I, I like boring. <laughs> Where can people find you and your work? Sure. So yeah, you mentioned my my website, Frequently Taxed Questions. 
um, that's the that, that's the best place. Thank you so much, Stephanie from Brooklyn. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> 